Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Filipino American Woman Project. I am your founder, producer, and co-host, Jen Amos. And as I start to incorporate announcements while I interview our guests, these announcements will be a lot shorter. Or not. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I tend to talk a lot, I know. All right, first announcement before the other announcements. I want to just thank everyone who has supported the PodFest Global Summit in the last week. I know I had been talking about it in the recent weeks, and guess what? We actually achieved the Guinness World Record title for the largest attendance for a virtual podcasting conference in one week. So I believe the world record we were aiming for was 5,000 and we well overpassed that. So to everyone that decided to RSVP or sign up or join, I just want to thank you all so much for your support. Now we can say that the Filipino American Woman Project was part of a Guinness World Records. So thank you all so much for your support. So interesting fact is that I did a five minute presentation and let me tell you, it's a lot harder to put together a five minute presentation than I thought. So humor me, check out the show notes of this episode. And if you want to see my presentation, you can actually check out our new YouTube channel. So on our new YouTube channel, you'll see that my presentation is on there. And like I said, it's very brand new, but this is the channel that we're going to be using to upload all of the video interviews we have done at this point so far in season two. Please subscribe after you watch that video and stay tuned. And if you subscribe between now and next week, I will give you a very kind shout out for the next episode. So subscribe to that channel. You can find that by checking out the show notes of this episode to watch the presentation I did at PodFest. And while you're there watching the video, please subscribe to our new channel. All right, moving on. So a couple things about this upcoming interview that we have with Marissa Tolero, which I am absolutely excited about. We have another therapist that we interview and as someone who considers herself a big mental health advocate, I really enjoyed this conversation with Marissa. At the beginning of this interview, I hint at some exciting announcements. And at first I thought it would be outdated by the time this interview came out, but actually it is not outdated. So in addition to our new YouTube channel, we also have a couple of more exciting announcements for the Filipino American Woman Project. So hang around, especially for the next upcoming episodes to see what those exciting announcements are for our community here. Last but not least, we have occasional barking in the background because you know, we're in a pandemic. So please enjoy the ambiance of these interesting times we are living in. All right, that's it. That's all the announcements I have to share before the other announcements. Please enjoy this next conversation with Marissa Tolero. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Filipino American Woman Project, also known as Tifa Project for short. I'm Jen Amos, your co-host. And as always, I have my wonderful co-host with me, Nani Dominguez. Nani, welcome back. Hello, everyone. I love your mic. (laughs) Me too. I'm getting into it. (laughs) I love how you sound. I'm like, wow, like that is Nani's voice. (laughs) Sounds oh God. <laughs> <No> amazing. <pressure. laughs> 
It's amazing. No, I just want to acknowledge that because one of my girlfriends, so shout out to Giselle. She was one of the first people we've interviewed on the show. I was catching up with her yesterday and she is listening to all of our shows from the very beginning. Oh, yeah. She's like on episode that. like 11 right now. And oh, she's just like telling me, she's like, oh, that's so cool. Because she knows now, like, you know, I'm very like open about this, but I was diagnosed with mild depression like last summer. And so she's listening to the initial interviews where I talk oh, about and that. she didn't and how, know that. Yeah. I mean, I think she did know, but it's more about, I think it's the details about it that she's starting to listen to. She's like, oh, it's interesting how like, you know, I'm listening to the early stages of you coming out about that stuff and how it's progressing and what you're doing, you know, seek out mental health. So it's really cool to like have her listen and kind of catch us like a year ago. I mean, you know, I think these interviews really do transcend time, you know, but it's kind of interesting to hear her perspective starting from the very beginning and be like, wow, like, yeah, that was me a year ago. (laughs) You know, I know I would love to go back and like listen to them all again, just to kind of like see how far we've all come. But yeah, I got to set aside time to do that. (laughs) Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I sort of started to do that. I was like, you know what, I'm gonna start from the very beginning and like do it at two times speed, because that's what Janelle (laughs) had inspired me to do (laughs) is two times speed. But yeah, it's interesting to kind of go back. And there's a part of me that like cringes because I'm like, oh my gosh, like, how was I interviewing back then? You know, I was like, yeah, like, how did I sound back then? And and I learned to like, look beyond that to just like, listen to the message and like how it was, you know, put out there and everything. Yeah and delivered. Yeah. So anyway, since we are deciding whether or not we're going to have a pre-recorded intro, we're just going to manually do our intro, (laughs) Nani, in this way and give a couple announcements. So to our listeners, if this is your first episode, you can learn everything about the Filipino American Woman Project on our wonderful website, tifaproject.com. That's T-F-A-W project.com. T-F-A-W as in the Filipino American Woman Project. Our website is very social media friendly, very mobile friendly. It's just very friendly. It's yellow. So yellow exudes a color of friendliness, in my opinion. And yes, in case yes, it actually, does. And I thought I would share this because there's some people that do ask, like, why'd you choose yellow? And it's like, well, we chose yellow because it's the yellow on the Filipino flag or on the Philippine flag. And so that's where I took it from. And I thought it was a very non-gender type color that would be appropriate, you know, for our audience. So that's part of a little background story on how the color was chosen. We have a phone number. So I'm going to jump into the next thing. <laughs> We have a phone number. And so if you are listening and if at any point this interview resonates with you, feel free to communicate with us. Our phone number is 415-484-8329. And I'll say that again. That's 415-484-8329. Or that's TIFA at the end, T-F-A-W, if you're into letters. (laughs) So there's that. Nani and I are trying to be more engaged through our newsletter now. And so although we are still there on Instagram with all of you, we want to put more of our focus and our heart into our newsletter community. And so you can learn more about that and even subscribe in the show notes or on our website at tifaproject.com. We are releasing a lot of exciting things for the second season. Nani and I had a co-host call last weekend and oh my gosh, we have a big announcement coming out soon. (laughs) Stay tuned. Yeah. And I mean, it might already be out by the time you listen to this interview. Oh, oh, I might do like an update. You know, I might do like a still intro thing before I start this. But yes, we have an exciting update and we hope that at this point, you know what it is (laughs) if you've been following, (laughs) following along. And last but not least, I just want to share that your feedback to us, your love letters via Instagram DMs or emails have meant the world to us so much that now we we would love to ask of you if you are comfortable to leave us a five-star written review, whether it's on Apple Podcasts 
or on Podchaser. So if you never heard of Podchaser, it's kind of like the Yelp for podcast shows and it's available on our website <laughs> at divaproject.com. It's one of the first things you see in the menu. And so if you have really enjoyed the show, we would love to hear from you and not just leave a five-star review because I'd like to believe that our show is five-star worthy. <laughs> Yes. But we would love to know through your words, like why you would, you know, rate it in that kind of way. So we'd love to hear from you and love to get that feedback so that Nani and I can continue to one, be affirmed and two, continue to improve our show for you. Nani, I said a lot, just thought I'd check in with you and see if you had anything you want to add to any of those announcements. Nope, I'm good. Cool. I just like hearing you talk. <laughs> <Why>? <laughs> yeah. All right. So that's all the announcements, our manual intro to the show. We're really excited because now we're going to dive into our interview. And this is going to be fun because we have a yogi therapist, bookworm and wanderer with us today, Marissa Tolero. Marissa, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful to be here. <laughs> yes, yes. I feel like there's a part of me that feels like I'm going to be extra mindful of how I ask my questions because you're a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, don't worry about it. <laughs> like I'm not self-conscious. It's more like, okay, let me just like, you know, act like I'm not a therapist in any way, obviously, but it's just like, let me, let me do it right. You do. Yeah. This is a therapeutic type work though. I mean, the conversations that you have certainly are therapeutic. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. I hear that a lot from our listeners. They'll say that actually one of yeah. my girlfriend Giselle yesterday, she was just saying like, it's so therapeutic to listen to your show because, you know, we could listen to any other show about like, let's say Asian American representation, but there's just something so special and unique and validating when you hear from other Filipino American women, like share their story and, you know, come to our surprise that whatever stereotypes we even had about ourselves are broken because of the stories that have been shared on this show. So thank you for saying that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'd like to believe in some way I'm like a super unofficial therapist. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Honorary. <laughs> Honorary. You definitely have earned those stripes. <laughs> yes. Yes. I will take it. I will take all the compliments. <laughs> thank you. Well, Marissa, why don't we share for people that are getting to know you for the first time, how did you hear about our show? And more importantly, what inspired you to join us? Because I know that we did a lot of preparation before we started. So I know there was a lot of thought put into being on the show today. Yeah. So, I mean, I found you guys on Instagram and I just was touched that there was a podcast dedicated to our community. Um, kind of to your point, what you were just saying, I think there's, you know, just like a lot of people nowadays, I consume a lot of podcasts, you know, it's kind of one of the primary media nowadays, but a lot of it is uh, experts and kind of people in successful positions, or at least that's the kind, especially since I've started my own business and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I do a lot of kind of that consuming and as inspiring as it all is and information gathering and all that stuff. Sometimes it's hard to see yourself in that. But what really touched me about your guys's podcast is I mean, number one, just how real you guys are. Like, I feel like I'm like in the conversation when I listen to you all talking. But also like I can see myself in every story that you guys share every week, every other week. And there's something to relate to, to touch on that I think all of us Filipino American women can see ourselves in. And so that definitely really touched me about the work that you guys do. And I'm honored to have, you know, been asked to come on and I'm so thankful to be here. 
so yeah, I just, if someone can relate to something from my story, then that's amazing too. I appreciate you sharing that. I think that, again, representation is so important. And like you said, it resonates differently when you're hearing from specifically Phil Ams versus just Asian American, uh, more Asian American based platforms, I guess. And there's not, there's still not a lot out there, even though since Jen and I have been doing this podcast, it seems like a bunch of other Phil Am podcasters have been you know, joining us in this kind of space. And I love that. And I love that Jen continues to promote, you know, resources and information for people that are looking to start podcasts because it is so important. Anyway, my point is that it hits differently when it's, you know, people, like you said, that you can see yourselves in and that you can relate to their stories. And we're just unpacking a lot here that seems for a lot of people, like things that you just brush over in life and Mm -hmm. it is the way that it is, you know, when really it doesn't have to be. So I think that's really kind of the power behind it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much for your kind words. I mean, going back to catching up with my friend Giselle yesterday, I was just telling her, you know, how important it is for me to make the show a safe space for people to just show up as they are because I've had experiences doing this project early on and sometimes throughout where I actually get triggered. You know, I get triggered by people who, in my perspective, feel a sense of entitlement to either tell me how to run the show or how do I describe it? Like, tell me how to run the show or like maybe they have their own preferences on how they want to be approached, like, you know, on the show, like how they want the show to be tailored to their preferences. And, you know, for me, if anyone's hearing my story for the first time, you know, in middle school, I was bullied by Filipino American women. And I had struggled with a lot of just toxic, abusive relationships within my own family. And the one thing that I just hated was just maybe that sense of entitlement, whether it's because you're older than me or because you're prettier than me or more successful than me, you know, that you have to impress that upon me to be like, like, I mean, I remember I had a client, he was an older Filipino guy where he said, I remember I was ending a contract with him and he outright said to me, you need to respect me. You know, and I was like, I was like, I don't know you, like, I don't know you on that level, you know, like you ain't my grandpa, but I get it. Like there are reasons for those hierarchical types of things, you know, that traditional type of family dynamic, but it wasn't serving me. It was hurting me than anything. And I was very convinced. There was a time where I was just really struggling with my identity. And I came to a place back in 2016 when this project originally started, where I thought, I told myself, I bet there's a very supportive, you know, open mind, open hearted community of Filipino American women that are going to just meet me where I'm at and just connect with each other for who we are like right now. Mm -hmm. And I was reflecting a lot about this this week alone. And I was just thinking like, you know, what I grew up with, I'm so glad that I went through what I went through because today I have like so many Filipino girlfriends, like so many. It's like, I feel like I have to respond to all these messages from like all my Filipino girlfriends. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad that this project kind of, you know, really gave me that. So as much as it served other people, it served me as well. And as a result, I just have this sense of responsibility to continue to create the space for us. So thank you so much for your feedback. This is why I love asking this question because, you know, it's very affirming to us, to Nani and I, you know, to keep doing what we do. So thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me too, it's so much about 
visibility as well. I did not grow up around a lot of other Filipinos, Filipino Americans, and I grew up in a mixed household as well. And so in a lot of ways, that identity was not really spoken about and erased in a lot of ways. And it really hasn't been until the last few years that I started actively seeking it out and realizing there was this huge gap in my life and then discovering resources like you guys and other ones as well. And to your point, seeing that there's this whole beautiful community out there and that a lot of us have gone through this similar experience in a way of whether it's being, you know, bullied within our own community or without the community or not even having the community, this kind of sense of being invisible and feeling like you're not allowed to take up space. Mm. And like what you guys are doing is you're allowing the quote unquote everyday woman, like, you know, not necessarily a CEO or this or that or a celebrity to take up space and have our stories be heard and validated and celebrated too. It seems like Filipinos are everywhere, yet we still seem so invisible, you know, Mm -hmm. like our story. And when you're in spaces with when you're the only Filipino American or one of the few, you know, you're treated like such a foreigner, like such a, you know, where's the Philippines and what does it mean Mm -hmm. to be Filipino? You know, like we're just some exotic species of animal, you know? (laughs) So, yeah, it seems we are everywhere. There's such a huge population of us, but we still seem so invisible to kind of mainstream media and Mm -hmm. just being represented in American culture in general. So, well, speaking a little bit about your upbringing, Marissa, let's go ahead and dive into a little bit about your identity as a Filipino American woman. So on this show, personally, I've said from the very beginning, I've I've actually changed this definition a lot because (laughs) as I hear more stories, I realize I need to expand (laughs) the definition. In the meantime, we like to identify Filipino-American women as individuals who live or have lived in America. Like we've interviewed expats, or actually, I think one expat, really, Kay Fabella, (laughs) who's in Europe right now. But yeah, we like to identify Filipino-American women as individuals who live or have lived in America that are of Filipino descent and identify as female or pronounce she, her. And we invite the narratives for those who identify as non-binary. So can you share with us a little bit about your family background and why you identify as a Filipino-American woman? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my mother, she was born and raised in Virginia in the South. Hey, I'm in Virginia. (laughs) Yeah. Are you where in Virginia? Virginia Beach. (laughs) Oh, nice. She's from uh, Salem. Oh, okay. Near Roanoke. Do you know it? I mean, I've never been there, but I know the names now. I'm learning right. I'm learning the geography out here, but very oh, cool. Are you pretty new to Virginia? Yeah, I lived in California for 20 years, so in San Diego. Okay. And my husband and I just moved out here like two years ago. Long story, I won't get into it. But yes, yeah. I'm, currently, I'm currently in Virginia Beach, yeah. Very cool, very cool. Yeah, so my mom is from Virginia. Basically, as soon as she could, she... She drove across the country, moved to San Francisco. Um, that's where <laughs> nice. she met my dad. My dad was born in the Philippines in Pasig in Manila. He was very, very young when him and his family came over here to Oakland. Mm. Um, or here. <laughs> over <laughs> to, here to Oakland. Yes, over there <laughs> to Oakland. For a moment, I felt like I was in California. It was interesting. <laughs> but yeah, his 
my Lolo, his father, he was a guerrilla fighter during World War II in the Philippines. Wow. Mm. And the U.S. Army ended up recruiting him as they did uh, with a lot of Filipinos during that time. And I don't I don't know, like necessarily the name of the act or like whatever it was that allowed Filipinos who like fought for the U.S. Army to gain citizenship. But that's basically how they were uh, mm. able to come over during that time. And so I think they came over in like the, the 50s, the late 50s. Yeah, and they, they came up on the bottom of a Navy boat, <laughs> 11 of them with like one bag oh, wow. amongst all of them and came to Oakland. So I obviously, oh, I don't think I said this. My mother, she is of, her family's been in the States for generations, but technically her ancestry is like British and German. Mm -hmm. So she's white. She's white and my dad is Filipino. So I grew up in a mixed household that was predominantly treated and moved through as white American. Mm. And so it took me a very, very long time to like identify as Filipina I mean, I actually didn't even know what that meant until wow. probably I heard my family talking about it. My dad wasn't super close with his family, even though it's a very large, large family. We spent a lot of time with my mom's family, even though my dad's family lived very close <laughs> in California. Um, so in a lot of ways, we didn't have touch with that side of our family. So when I was younger and growing up, I didn't hear a lot of talk about the Philippines and the culture and that side of the family. I just knew that my parents looked very different, but also mm -hmm. it wasn't that like weird to me because I was used to it until I started really becoming more aware of how people reacted to me or reacted mm -hmm. to my parents when they saw my parents together. And so like, I remember in middle school, another student, he like saw my last name and he this is a big moment for me. He saw my last name and he asked me if I was Mexican. And I said, no. And he was like, well, what are you? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> because wow. I didn't know. Like, I, I literally wow. just did not have the verbiage at mm. that time. Um, over the years, it kind of became a, again, there wasn't this like sit down, like this is who you are. This is where we come from. It was kind of soaking up information over the years. Yeah. And obviously my adult years is when I've kind of started to actively seek out that information from my parents. All my grandparents are gone now, unfortunately, but seeking out that information from my parents and then also on my own reading, listening to podcasts, going out and trying to meet other Filipinos and stuff. So yeah, so it's been a journey to identify and fully feel allowed to identify yeah. as Filipina. So yeah. I want Nani to, to speak to this, uh, not to throw you on the bus or anything, but you know, your dad is Filipino and your mom is white. And so I feel like yeah. you might have like similar experiences that you might want to share. Yeah. I mean, the setup of my family was a little bit different because I was super, super close with my dad's family and my mom was, you know, pretty heavily involved in that as well. But it is interesting. I always find it interesting when I meet Filipino Americans or mestizos, I guess, who mm -hmm. their dad is Filipino and their mom is white, because I feel like right. that's such a rare thing. You're one of like two other people that I know, and myself, that that was the setup. So I'm interested 
to know about your relationship with the rest of your dad's family, like as you got older and wanted to dive more into your Filipino identity, was that something that you tried to connect with or have you kind of just taken on the task of venturing out on your own and experiencing things like podcasts or, you know, books and other ways to learn your culture outside of your family? Right. Yeah. So I also have found it very interesting as well, because over the last few years, as I've met more Filipino women, I have also, I've met other people who are mixed as well, but specifically with a father who's Filipino and a mother who's white, that has been kind of a mix that I have yet to encounter. So you're the first person who I know who also kind of has that family set up, which is a very interesting experience in itself, because I do think, at least for me as a woman, as a daughter, I want to have that female connection and, you know, that relationship with the mother, but there is this glaring difference in our race. (laughs) And it's very, very fascinating. You know, I am very close with her, but I also, when I look at her, I don't necessarily see myself, Mm -hmm. which it's not necessarily a good or a bad thing. And of course it's, it is what it is and it's our family. But that has definitely, I'm just now (laughs) starting to realize like what kind of effect that disconnect is. Yeah. Right. And just on me as a woman, as a Filipino woman and other things, there was a falling out with my dad's side of the family after his parents passed away. I won't go into the details there. So I haven't been reaching out to them in particular, even though there is a bit of a loss, you know, that has to, I think, be grieved in a way, even though these are people that I really didn't know that well at any point. I I remember here and there when I was very young going to go hang out, spend time with them. But our grandparents, my Lola and Lola passed away. I was probably 13 years old and Mm -hmm. there was a big falling out there. And so we just completely lost contact. So a lot of my pursuit has been intellectual in a lot of ways. And I think the part that I'm working on now is more the kind of spiritual, emotional connection to the community. I, mm. I was fortunate to go to the Philippines last year. And so that was huge for me. That was just so, you know, one of the identities I shared was like wanderer, mm-hmm. you know, that you introduced me as. And I've kind of been searching my whole life for this kind of sense of home. And Mm, so I've moved a lot. And in New York, I've definitely found a sense of home, although my partner and I are talking about moving out of the country next year. But New York has, yeah, New York has definitely been kind of the closest feeling of home. And that's because everyone here looks different and has a completely different story. So everyone's kind of a community in that way. But yeah, going to the Philippines, it was like, oh, like, these are like my people. Like I felt so connected there. Right. So yeah, so it has been very intellectual in a lot of ways. And I do think that foundation needs to be there. Just warning, you know, the history of the Philippines and my family and all that. But yeah, there's this other process that I'm working on now of really embodying what all of that means. Yeah, no, I I can totally relate to that. I mean, I've done both in terms of, you know, growing up, I learned and kind of Filipino culture was instilled in me because of my family, not necessarily because of my dad. You know, my dad and I have a very close relationship, but it's a unique relationship. And so 
culture was really instilled in me by other members of my family, like mm. my grandma and my grandpa, my aunties, my uncles. And so having stepped away from that in my adult life and done more of the intellectual independent research, learning about Filipino culture outside of the context of my own family has been extremely beneficial. And I agree, everybody should, you know, seek out that history that has been essentially erased and hidden from us and kind of replaced with this installation of an American interpretation of what happened, you know? So I, I do think it is important for any Filipino person to explore that and learn about that and understand how it connects back with them. But yeah, not having that kind of family context, I guess, to connect it back to, I see how that can pose obstacles and probably be really frustrating and difficult at times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, It makes me think about like, even though I have like my mom in which I could pull a lot of information from, I don't have that like kind of dynamic with her and my family to like ask the questions about like our culture and like where we came from, because I, I think about like my own upbringing and how um, most of my family, at least here in the States are very task oriented. They're very, you know, like, are your basic needs fulfilled? Like, do you, you know, do you feel safe? Do you have a roof over your head? Like, are you married? (laughs) Are you going to have kids? Not having kids yet, but it's kind of like just the basic, you know, check survival mindset, Yeah, survival mindset, you know, with, with like the ultimate goal of stability, you know, like financial stability as in like a nine to five job and like what have you. I like how you said that right now you're focused on, you know, having that spiritual, emotional connection, like with our culture. I feel like in a way I'm doing that through this show, you know, cause I mean, I could read stuff, but like, maybe it's cause I'm a podcaster now where like, I can't just like open a book and read it. I need someone to read it to me <laughs> or I just get, I get lost in the facts and figures, like in the history books of like our Filipino American history or Filipino history. But I just find that I learned so much more in hearing personal narratives mm-hmm. of our fellow Filipino American women. I feel like I learned more like in that way and I can retain more in that way. And so, mm-hmm. and I'm okay with that. <laughs> like there was a time where I was like, Oh, like it sucks that I'm not like my husband been where he like literally knows when we first landed in America, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. like he can tell you the year exactly, you know, and like, right. but for me, I'm like, I don't, I don't remember those like fine details. Like that's not me. Mm-hmm. I remember the heart of the story. I remember mm-hmm. the heart of the experience. Cause I'm, I'm very like heart centered and I'm an empath and and that's, so that's how like I retain like information in that way. And so it, it is interesting how as we get older, what, what I tend to find on the show is that a lot of us start to explore our culture later in life, like maybe after college, maybe we're, when we're professionals or even in college too, but just when we're older, you know, we start to try to, you know, find those pieces and really understand like, who are we and what are we as Filipino American women? And with that knowledge, how do we show up in this world? Like knowing what we know, but I feel like it's a constant scavenger hunt, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like finding all this information. And it's my hope with the show, at least for me, what I'm finding is that I learn so much with every new interview that we have. So thank you for being part of the conversation, Marissa, and really being very thorough about your story and how you are connecting with your culture today. Yeah. And we hope that you find that sense of home, you know, here, if not in this space, you know, the podcast, Mm -hmm. at least in the online community, like we, Jen and I have been so kind of like pleasantly surprised at how many people are so hungry for this information and share these same experiences and feelings and 
and are looking for that kind of soft, comfy landing to connect, Mm -hmm. you know, their roots back to whether or not they feel safe or comfortable or able to within their own families. So we hope that you find that kind of sense of family here. (laughs) Yeah, I, I think that over time, it's like these little pieces kind of come together and that can create, you know, the capital H home as well. And so that's Mm. what I'm finding. Like, I think for a long time, it was like, I just have to, I have to find that one place or Mm. those one people or whatever it is, but, you know, here and there's, you know, there's other like organizations I'm a part of and other communities and stuff. And I think with all of that can kind of create that sense of identity and home and, yeah, it's, it'd be nice if it was done earlier in life, but it's also, you know, never too late. And I think yeah. a lot of us, like you were saying, Jen, talking about your family being very task oriented. I think a lot of us just growing up were that as well. You know, we're busy right. going to school and growing up and working on our careers, which going is a very, emotions. Yeah. yes. And it's, you know, it's a very capitalistic kind of Americanized way to view mm. our lives about mm-hmm. basically how how fast can we get, get to be successful yeah. and I think it is like another way of kind of erasing our identities like just yeah. focus on the work focus on the work um, whereas if I can't help but think if it was another time and place that who we are and our family stories and all of that would be just as an important part of our development as well but I'm just you know thankful <laughs> to be doing it now and yeah to have you guys here to support that process for all of us you've mentioned something that made me think of how do you define home you know because I, I think even for myself like I've moved around a lot as well as a military child and then that kind of translated into my adult life like Virginia Beach I, I just told my husband earlier this year I was like I think I can see ourselves living here for at least like three to five years like I feel pretty confident about it like I, mm-hmm. I feel I like it out here the people here are really nice there's a southern hospitality <laughs> you know we know our neighbors but it's interesting because I think you both mentioned something that made me feel like like how I want to craft what home at least means for me. And I think that when we think of home, we think of something physical. We think of one thing, you know, we think of like a house, for example. But I think because of our diverse, unique background, like the fact that we are Filipino American, and then for you two, that you both are literally like American and Filipino, you know, I just think that home for us at least what I'm finding is not necessarily one thing, but a collection of things. It's a collection of experiences, a collection of stories, a collection of the people we have in our lives. And I think when, at least when I look at it that way, I think to myself, okay, maybe because when, when you say you search for home, I think like, man, that's what I think too. Like, when am mm-hmm. I going to get there? But mm-hmm. I think, but I'm thinking even for myself, like, you know, maybe my home is, is a collective effort, a collective of things. Mm-hmm. And I have to learn I have to learn to be okay with that and be happy with that. So thank you for bringing that up because it got me to think to myself, I was like, why do I always feel unsettled too? <laughs> and maybe it's because mm-hmm. I'm trying to find the one, you know, I'm trying to find like the one thing when in reality, at least for our experience as Filipino American women, maybe it's not the one, maybe it's a collection of things that make it mm-hmm. feel like a home, you know? Right, right. And it might be different things at different times mm-hmm. as well. Like after I grew up in Berkeley, And as soon as I was 18, I moved to Southern California. I went to school down there. I lived in Irvine. Mm. And for me, you know, that was home for a while. You know, Mm. I, I, it was the first time I was on my own. I was, you know, living in a dorm. Like I was having that college experience of being independent and free and just kind of what it meant to be an adult. And so that was home for a while. And then 
you know, I think, again, this kind of mentality of like, there's supposed to be this trajectory of, you know, you are supposed to just find that one place and settle down and have the white picket fence and all of that stuff. For me, it just hasn't been like that. It hasn't been that neat. And so there came a time where it was time for me to think about, I I knew I wanted to further my education. I had a bachelor's in psychology and there's not a lot you can do with the bachelor's. You need to go on and get the master's. And I had been in therapy for many years as a Mm. kid. And so I knew I wanted to seek out a counseling or therapy program. And something was just drawing me to the East Coast. And so I applied to these big cities on the East Coast. And through fate, I got accepted to a school here in New York. And I had never been to New York ever. Wow. <laughs> I had seen it through TV shows and movies and all that. And then I moved here without ever having been here. But something was drawing me here. And something had also come to a close in Irvine as well. And it was mm. kind of had served me for that period of my life. Yeah. But it was time to kind of go on to the the next home and but I'm in that similar process where it's very much been a feeling like like you said like a heart-centered kind of energetic feeling of like just kind of this this knowing but as I I do get a little bit older I'm I'm starting to wonder like what are all of those feelings what are all of those Mm. people what are all those you know things that do make a home for me yeah and maybe it's more so about the collective you know becoming a part of you and you creating that sense of home within yourself, you know, Mm -hmm. so rather than looking at a space like a school or a job or your family home as Mm -hmm. home, it's like, yeah, you settle into these spaces for, you know, this period of time in your life and then you move on to the next, but Mm -hmm. a little piece of that always stays with you and something about Mm -hmm. that always lives in, you know, lives through you and impacts, you know, how you interact in the next spaces that you explore. So Mm -hmm. also it's, you know, for me, it feels like more cultivating that sense of home within yourself. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Wow. Beautiful. I love it. I love this whole conversation. I feel like I can sit in it for a while and talk about what is home. Right. (laughs) That's a good question. Yeah, Yeah. I think I think it's something worth pondering for all of us. Yeah. In the meantime, why don't we fast forward to your life today, Marissa? Uh, you, mm-hmm. You've hinted at going to school to uh, pursue therapy. And today you're not just a therapist, you're a yogi therapist. <laughs> so <laughs> why don't you share a snapshot of your life today, particularly right. what keeps you busy or excited about life nowadays? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm a yoga teacher and a licensed psychotherapist. So it's interesting, you know, we nowadays when we get asked that question it's like we always have to have the asterisk of like pre and post covid or yeah. not even post right right very much <laughs> in covid yeah it's like what was your life um, before and what is it like now corona <laughs> yeah yeah yes exactly so for me it sounds kind of weird but there hasn't been a huge change because i was actually working from home at that point already so mm-hmm. i had just kind of just a few months before transition to working for myself, working from home. I was working at a college counseling center for five years or so in Queens. And I decided that it was time to pursue a private practice. Mm. So basically since September, I've been having a private practice where I actually, I combine yoga and psychotherapy into one session. So, or into every session. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been practicing yoga for 
13 years now. I found it in my freshman year of college. And I was a gymnast for a lot of years as a kid, a competitive gymnast, and I got hurt. And so I wasn't really active for a while. And I had kind of tried out other things that might kind of spark the same kind of thing in me that gymnastics did, but it was hard to find. And so then when I started going to yoga in college, I found that it, it did spark that kind of, I've been watching Marie Kondo, so I keep wanting to say spark. Oh my God, it. I love her. <laughs> I know, we're I moving like, too, so I'm like oh, Very in the Marie stuff. Kondo. Yeah. I binged all her episodes. I love her. I know, I know. So every time I say spark now, I just feel like I have to say joy. Joy. But it's true. It, it is true. You know, it, it just, yeah. I felt very much connected to the practice and, you know, it's physical, but it's also mental and emotional and mm-hmm. spiritual and all that. So, yeah, so it's, it's been a huge part of my life for the last 13 years yoga has. And I mean, several years ago, I had the idea of combining yoga and therapy therapy, as I also mentioned briefly earlier, has been a huge part of my life as well. I'm still, I'm in therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was in therapy for a lot of years as a kid and it essentially saved my life. Mm. So these are kind of these two things that I combine now and hope to be able to kind of support other people in their lives by bringing these two pieces. So, so yeah, so that's what I, I do now is I, I mean, obviously it's all virtual, which is, it's actually a really cool experience in some ways. It's just as, if not more intimate than working in person as well. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's really, really fun. I, at first I was like, how would this work? You know, it seems like a little clunky, but it's really beautiful. Like I always, we do like a yoga practice and then like, we just stay on our mats. We stay on the floor. I live most of my life on the floor now <laughs> because I, you know, it's just, you're always there. My yeah. Life, my, yeah. Yeah. I'm just like on the floor. Um, but yeah, it's uh, a beautiful experience. So yeah, it sounds like the perfect, you kind of transitioned into doing your own practice at the perfect time right before COVID right. hit. So now it's yeah. not like you have to go through someone else's, you know, schedule or open hours or whatever. You've already kind of set up yourself. So all that's different is that you're doing it virtually. Right. So yeah, really I was cool. very privileged to kind of already have that experience. So it wasn't a huge like shock or yeah. kind of transition as well. Yeah, I'm curious. So when you were competing gymnasts, did you do gymnastics in Berkeley? Yes, I did it at Golden, Golden Bear. Bear. I yeah. knew it. I Where? went to oh. HOH. <laughs> oh my gosh. I did gymnastics awesome. at Head Over Heels for yeah. like 13 years, but I didn't compete. I was not, I'm not, I don't compete. That's at a long time. As soon as I have to compete, then I quit. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh my gosh. That's, that's awesome. But yeah, I was, I was over there for a long time too. And my best friend actually went to Golden Bear. So we probably know wow. some of the same people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Golden Bear was like my speaking of home it was like my second home when I was a a kid yeah exactly exactly Mm -hmm. I have one other question unless Jen wants to go nope all you I'm just (laughs) curious about your experience of going through therapy as a kid Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of kids especially you know maybe recently like now in this age where mental health is becoming something that's like recognized as important and destigmatized but back in our day therapy as a kid was like unheard of kind of so kind of what got you into that and how did you stay with it for so long right so I initially started going I was like eight years old 
And it was actually because of gymnastics. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. I, like, it's like in hindsight, I could see why. Um, at the time, at the time, I was having, you know, nightmares and all this stuff mm. that was like hard for me to sleep. And so my parents, thankfully, my parents didn't hold a lot of stigma against therapy and all that. So they actually thought it might be good for me to start seeing someone. And so my, um, my sister also, she, she has a lot of physical stuff that she's had to deal with growing up. And so she was already very familiar with different types of therapies and all that. And so I think that also kind of opened the door for it to be an accessible and valid way of receiving support. So my parents found me someone and she helped me through a lot of my times. And I, I, like I said, I realized in hindsight that a lot of it was because like the the nightmares were kind of like a manifestation of stress that I was Mm. having from the pressure of competing. And it was a lot of hours. It was probably like 30 hours a week as an eight year old (laughs) that I was practicing practicing and competing and just putting, I mean, not just the physical uh, fatigue, but all the mental stuff as well. So it gave me a space to kind of talk about it. And I remember the first several years, it was a lot of typical kind of the way kids might interact in therapy. So I remember playing a lot of games with my therapist and it took me several years where it was kind of just us sitting and and talking. But yeah, it really kind of opened up this world of showing me like how therapeutic and healing it is to talk about what you're going through with someone else and kind of showcased that this profession exists and it can be really, really helpful. So I was in a way I was kind of guarded against that uh, kind of negative stereotype of like the shrink and yeah therapy and all that. Cause I had, I was almost too young. And so I just went right into it and yeah. I saw her till I was 18 and I moved away. Wow. So for 10 years, I saw her almost on like a weekly basis. And she got me through the loss of my grandparents and all these traumas, these traumas that I was going through as a 13, 14 year old. So yeah, it was, I'm so thankful that I had that experience. Yeah. Yeah. that sounds really like impactful. And that's what I would wish. I feel like for all kids these days right. um, is for, you know, the family or the parents to have that normalized approach to therapy and not put themselves down or their kids for, you know, most families are like, we don't need therapy. That's for somebody else. That's not Mm -hmm. for us. We don't need that. We're normal, blah, blah, blah. But I love that your family was like, you know, incorporated that as something that was normal. And yeah, I can't Mm -hmm. imagine how helpful that was through all of those kind of traumatic times that you went through as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, my parents in a lot of ways were way ahead of their time with a lot of things. It sounds um, like it. Yeah. 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 So I'm super grateful that that it even occurred to them as an option. Yeah. yeah. It's just uh, like now it's like the in thing to have yeah. a therapist. So if y'all don't have a therapist, y'all get one. I'm in therapy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm in I therapy. plan to be when I win the lotto. <laughs> yeah. ways or something. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just so nice to have it normalized. And obviously Marissa, that's been normal in your life already, but it mm-hmm. is very like it's that's not very common I think Mm -hmm. for a lot of us and you know from the very beginning when we started the show 
show, I have found a lot of our guests talk openly about mental health. And we've had a therapist too uh, join us on our show. So it's just so nice for anyone who maybe feels like that is a stigma or a taboo in the family. My hope is that with the show, we can normalize mental health and let people know it's absolutely okay. It's like going to the gym, you know, <laughs> like yeah. it's like working out, you know, your mental health is your physical health because your mental health will show up in your physical health if you neglect it, you know, long enough. So thank you so much for sharing that. And I can only imagine how fun it is to be in your sessions. I think about my sessions right now with my husband where, you know, we're, we're just sitting in front of a, you know, the camera. <laughs> We're doing a Zoom mm-hmm. session with our therapist. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's no like stretching or like, you know, doing, you know, breathing exercises or anything, yeah. which, which is fine. Like I, I'm not yeah. complaining. Like it, it's still very helpful for us. At the same time, I, I can imagine that, you know, I think part of even working through like trauma or problems is through physical movement. And so mm-hmm. it's really awesome that you integrate that into your practice. Right. Yes. So much of our mental health like lives in the body as well. And again, it's been through just kind of my own experimentation with myself and learning that myself that I've discovered that. And again, like no hate or anything against like just talk psychotherapy. Um, I still, I still, I have those sessions as well. Um, And then sometimes people show up and they're just like, I don't really feel like doing yoga today. Can we just talk for the hour? And so it's really like, however anyone's feeling. And, but if people are up for it, it definitely can kind of unlock things. I mean, first of all, it helps with nerves. Like if anyone Mm. is feeling a little kind of uncomfortable, because it is a very, very vulnerable thing to show up for therapy for sure. Um, No matter, yeah, like no matter how, you know, uh, open we are to it. I mean, sharing your story with anyone is, is vulnerable. And so it can kind of create a safe atmosphere and kind of address all the physical nerves and all of that so that you're able to be that much more present during the session as well. And then also, you know, there's the additional like physical benefits as well. So yeah, it's a really cool (laughs) experience. Well, Marissa, we are at my favorite part. Actually, I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. And so I'm excited to really wrap up with this last question. And so the heart of our show is to share life lessons by mm-hmm. Filipino American women. So for you, you wanted to share that knowledge is power and knowledge is compassion. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate a little bit more on what that means to you and what aspect of your life really led you to this life lesson that you're sharing with us today? Yeah, I was thinking about that. And I, I think I need to revise it a little. I think it's, it's knowledge is compassion and compassion is power. Because what this kind of process of me being a therapist and studying psychology and practicing yoga and participating in my own therapy over however many years, what I realized it's all been a search in is to get to know myself. So what I've learned is that we all, we have our life experiences. Sometimes some of them are really joyous and positive, sometimes traumatic, and it's a whole journey to move through it. And we have our experiences of that. And I think, again, in the work I've seen with myself and with people that I work with, we tend to kind of add on this second layer to that experience, which is where we feel ashamed for having those experiences. So if we're scared Mm. because of the past trauma or for whatever, or we're 
we're struck with grief, we kind of add on this judgment, right, of ourselves, or we get frustrated. And we're like, why am I so anxious? I mean, anxiety is something that I've worked through my whole life as well. And I still I'm still working through it. And it's so easy to start you know, be hard on yourself. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then you get frustrated with yourself or angry and then you end up perpetuating whatever that kind of underlying experience is. And sometimes it might kind of go externally into relationships Mm -hmm. and work and all these other things. And so what I've been learning and discovering over these last several years is that if we can start to understand like what is actually happening (laughs) physically, mentally, physiologically, like why we're feeling so activated, for example, like why am I getting triggered? Like what, Mm -hmm. why is my heart suddenly starting to beat so fast? Like what about this makes me anxious? And you start doing that safe exploration I mean, number one, you get to learn about yourself, but you also, there's this compassion piece. Like you Mm -hmm. sort of say, oh, like that's why, like it makes sense instead of judging yourself Mm -hmm. and shaming yourself and getting frustrated, like, okay, that makes sense. Like, that's like my motto, like it makes sense. Mm. (laughs) Like we're humans and this is how like we might respond to certain things. And so I think there's so much power in having that compassion for yourself. And like, when you are doing that work for yourself, then again, I see it in myself and with people I work with and friends. It's like, when you learn that about yourself, you're able to start expanding that to other people, like for my parents or something, there might be, you know, hangups that I have from my childhood, but when I'm able to see like, well, they're just people too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they've had so many things that they've had to overcome and um, that they've experienced. And so I can see that it makes sense that, you know, they show up and experience the world as they do and, you know, can develop this compassion. And I think with that compassion, you know, can come kind of connection and just a lot of, a lot of power. (laughs) It's very powerful. So, yeah, I think maybe the most powerful piece of that, like having compassion for yourself and moving away from shaming yourself is also putting that distance in between like having a feeling or experiencing a thought or a feeling and identifying with it. Right. And so, you know, that's that necessary kind of point of reflection where you have to stop and say, like change your language instead of saying, Mm -hmm. I'm feeling really mad right now, or I feel really anxious right now, or I'm anxious right now. You say, I'm feeling anxious. And Mm -hmm. then you're like, oh, okay. It kind of makes something click in your head to where it's like, this is just temporary. This is just how I'm feeling right now. And this is where it's coming from, or this is why I'm feeling that way. But I don't Mm -hmm. have to feel that way. You know what I mean? Like this is not forever. I have control over certain aspects of Mm -hmm. the situation that I can adjust so that maybe I don't have to feel that way, or maybe I won't feel that way in some time. Mm -hmm. So that's also another important piece of it for me, at least. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's where the practice of like yoga and like mindfulness and meditation comes in, at least for me, is that it forces me to slow down and to like actually yeah. be present with what is happening right. physically and mentally, because I think we do all live in this go, go, go. And I think a lot of us are experiencing this as well with quarantine and kind of having right. to be still yeah. as we're being forced to reckon with and face with face all these things that we haven't really dealt with. And yeah, I think there's something about slowing down, observing, and like you said, almost kind of talking to it and having a compassionate relationship with whatever that thing is. 
Yeah, it definitely kind of, it feels humanizing, I I guess. Mm -hmm. And then you also kind of realize like, oh, that's what humans do. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so then you're like, everybody else in the world goes through this as well. And in that way, you're able to, you know, develop compassion for other people as well as Mm -hmm. yourself. Yeah, exactly. I second everything you said, Nani. (laughs) (laughs) Beautifully said. Marissa, thank you so much. I feel like we've had such an incredible conversation today and I feel, I feel your compassion (laughs) and your, your heart and, and what, you know, and just this beautiful, like open, welcoming, loving vibe that you give off. So thank you for joining us today and for the work that you're doing. And so for people that want to connect with you, especially after this episode, how can they do that? How can they find you online and learn more about you? Well, thank you so much for having me and for allowing me to share my voice and share my story again. Um, If people want to find me, I'm on Instagram at Marissa, the yogi therapist. I do need to emphasize that the reason I say yogi therapist is because a yoga therapist is a completely different discipline. Oh, and yeah, <laughs> there's actually that. like, a, yeah, like yoga therapy and yoga therapist. It's like an actual separate certification. It's almost like huh. physical therapy. Oh, I didn't um, know that. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, I'm a yoga teacher and a psychotherapist, but not a yoga therapist. Nice. Um, <laughs> yeah. But so, yeah, so my Instagram is Marissa, the yogi therapist. And then uh, I have my website, which is just my name. So it's marissatolero.com. And people can feel free to message me through there, through either of those and, you know, say hi or anything like that. So thank you so much. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure having you, Marissa. And to our listeners, you know that if you want to get that contact information, you can find it in the show notes or on our website at tifaproject.com. Nani, thank you for co-hosting with me as always. You're welcome. But I feel like you led a lot of today. So thank you for doing that. Oh, well, (laughs) my pleasure. You made my life easy today. Thank you. Thank you, Marissa, for making it easy. (laughs) Thank you both. Thank you both so much. Yes. And to our listeners, thank you all so much for listening and continuing to be part of the conversation. We hope that you are going to be our next guest on our show. Until then, we look forward to speaking with you in the next episode. Tune in next time. Bye-bye. Bye.